0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, because we live.
1: We, live. we live.
0: And welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mayle alongside Doug Branson. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Getamer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at LockedOnHornets and on Facebook, Facebook.com slash LockedOnHornets. You can find me on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug at Doug Branson NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and fantasy sports san antonio spurs assistant james borrego will reportedly become the charlotte hornets new head coach although it is not official yet i would expect some dotting the i's crossing the t's just maybe taking a while to announce it make it official um but it will be announced you would think soon borrego is expected to become that head coach very soon we'll have plenty more for you on that later on in the show we'll continue to break down borrego's hiring him becoming the new head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. The Western Conference Finals are set between the Warriors and the Rockets. While well, the Cavs are still waiting for their opponent, depending on Philly's ability to come back, in a way no other NBA team has before. But at least Philly, at least for one game in Game 5, did, in Game 4, I should say, did stave off elimination. Philip Reich, Philip Rossman Reich, will join us as well to discuss the Borrego hire. Reich is based down in Orlando. He's the editor at Orlando Magic Daily and the host of fellow podcast friend, Locked On Magic. He is uh, also based, he's based in Orlando, so he knows of James Borrego's interim head coaching days with the Orlando Magic. He went 10 and 20 down with the Orlando Magic when he was the interim head coach after Jacques Vaughn's firing. So he knows a little bit about that stint that he had. Brief, but maybe a little telling for the future. And Dwight Howard, he joined the Get Up crew on ESPN yesterday to discuss some storylines around the NBA. Some interesting comments from him. So we'll give you that on top of everything else. I know Doug is absolutely burning to talk about the Dwight comments because he agrees with him so much. So we'll move on to James Borrego and he is going to be the new head coach for the Charlotte Hornets after looking for a decent amount of time after relieving Steve Clifford of his duties as the head coach for the Hornets. And it was a little bit of a quiet process, but you did see some names float around And there was quite a bit of names. We discussed it yesterday that we felt they did a good job of not just naming a couple of guys, honing in on them, and not giving else anybody really a chance. They gave a lot of people a chance. Jay Larnega and James Borrego were the two people that particularly wowed them. And it ends up being Borrego as the guy. He becomes the seventh head coach since the Bobcats returned to the NBA, of course, returned to the city in 2004 the names interesting names along the way that we have gone through here in Charlotte Bernie Bickerstaff he was from he was here in 04 through 07 then it was Sam Vincent 07 through 08 the Larry Brown era started from 2008 to 2010 the only other playoff appearance i believe besides Steve Clifford and what he got them to Paul Silas He returned back from the dead 2010 2012 Mike Dunlap from 2012 to 2013 the excellent Mike Dunlap year was amazing Steve Clifford 2013 to 2018 and now here we are starting in 2018 with James Borrego. So it seems like we like Borrego. I know there hasn't been a whole lot of bad things said about him. We've heard a lot of good things. I feel like that is easy to say. I feel like it's easier to kind of take that stance when you have an assistant coach just emerging in the NBA. There's a reason that these guys are getting a job. It's because they did a good job with their assistant responsibilities under whatever head coach at the time they were under. Greg Popovich, I think he's the greatest of all time. Brad Stevens, he might just compete with Greg Popovich when it's all said and done as the greatest of all time. There were a couple of assistants that they looked at. So here's Borrego, who did a good job as the as the third assistant. And he was kind of in a, uh, a a basically a group. Messina is probably the head assistant. Then he may Udoka and James Borrego kind of shared that same ability probably after Messina. But he gets the job. And I just don't know. We, we, like, we like him, Doug. I don't know if there's a whole lot of bad things to say about him right now, what are the concerns if I were to force you to think of some concerns with him and not just not just the vague stuff where, well, it's an assistant coach. We don't know how he's going to handle the head coaching responsibilities. Is there anything specifically about Borrego that you can point to and say, you know, I don't know how that's going to translate as a head coach?
1: Well, we we don't know many bad things to say about him, Walker, because he is young. 40 years old would be the youngest NBA head coach. So I mean, I think that's the biggest concern that uh, he does not have the requisite experience he was never he did have the interim head coaching position for Orlando uh, but was not a lead assistant for Popovich so and and he's been a, an assistant for a long time and this is you know only the past couple of years that we heard his name pop up before so i think those are all those are all legitimate concerns but at the end of the day we just don't know no, you, you have, have, to, no you have clue. to give to give you have to make the best choice available to you and then and then give that person an opportunity to succeed.
0: And Again, we discussed quite at length about all of the assistant coaches under Greg Popovich that have gone on to have at least some success. It's been an impressive tree that Pop has. Again, we've given you the names, but here's just another one with Borrego. And it seems like, Doug, that Greg Popovich has a legitimate love for these guys. And I got a chance to talk with Jason Minick of ESPN San Antonio on the wake-up call, of course, this show that I host on 7.30 The Game, ESPN Charlotte. And we asked him all the questions of with Minnix, or excuse me, with Borrego coming in to be the head coach of Charlotte. And I ask him, you know, I ask him, does Greg Popovich really work, legitimately work with his assistants? And here's what Minick had to say.
2: Yeah, you know, Greg Popovich isn't... Um fearful of losing his job and you know i'm sure they're they're you know he's in the coaching business he knows at some point it will happen but you know somewhere along the way you started seeing the greg popovich tree sprout i believe this is now the seventh head coach uh that, that greg popovich has produced which you think about that number uh that's pretty big you're getting up into some pretty high cotton when you look at those numbers because he wants he wants individuals to go do well for
0: themselves. I think that yeah, one, you know, I think one, that's just cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how often it's not that I think every head coach wants to sabotage the careers of all their assistant coaches, but not only do you have this guy in Greg Popovich who is widely considered the best head coach in the NBA, certainly currently, not only does he not just wave off the assistants and say, read off the stats, keep track of fouls for me. Uh, what, what's the box score like right now? How many fouls do we have as a team? Instead of all that, he really puts these guys in a role where they can develop the players. He trusts them. He wants them to do well. And you've only heard good things from pop who has dealt with a lot of these guys who go on and get a head coaching job somewhere.
1: And a lot of the better coaches in the NBA, they have figured out a way to delegate, not only because it normally makes for a better staff but it also uh, it, you know, makes for a better head coach in that they don't have all of that responsibility weighing down on them. <laughs> Steve Kerr delegates down to his players, let his players call a few plays. <laughs> I know. it's.
0: I, I think that is so great, and, and I think it just opens up a, a new perspective. Jason Minnick's also mentioned that when you have James Borrego coming from Orlando back to San Antonio, because remember, he was there from 03 to 2010, had that stint with New Orleans and Orlando then comes back in 2015 that when he came back that Menix mentioned that Pop was even open to what Borrego learned in his time elsewhere in the NBA, that Popovich was still willing to take on some advice from a guy who is now 40, younger at the time, maybe be open to some maybe be open some, open to some advice that Borrego had. It's it's and that, that it kind of yeah,
1: you you know, and that kind of experience for Borrego to be under someone like that, that's going to rub off on him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's he sure. knows what a great leader looks like, and he knows that great leadership is not top down.
0: Well, it's it, not completely top it, down. It's it's learning by observation, and that's what Borrego brings with himself as well. And again, you you we talked about the responsibilities giving to these assistant head coaches. I'll play another Jason Minnick's quote for you that. We ask about his specific role in developing these players with the San Antonio Spurs, and Jason Minnick goes on to say that he had a very, very vital role in developing these players.
2: He was huge in that, uh, especially the second uh, go round. You know, when you think about, you know, the first time he was with the Spurs, you know, Brett Brown, who's now in Philadelphia, Chad Forcier, who. Uh, left San Antonio to go to, uh, Orlando and just got hired to be an assistant in Memphis. They were kind of the player development guys and James was learning under them his first go around. This go around, he kind of took over that role and great Popovich likes his assistant coaches to, uh, to coach. That's, that's what they do. And so you think about taking, taking a player and working extra with them, um, you know, the development part is there and you you look at i think i read that piece in the charlotte observer where they use boris Diaw as an example you look at where the spurs generally draft what they can get out of second round picks what they can get out of what other teams have just gotten rid of the spurs are able to take those kind of players and turn them into very productive nba players i look at a guy like gary neal who was great in san antonio and didn't do squat anywhere else so the spurs Have been, uh, have a very good track record of player development.
0: Uh, That's the money bite, right? I mean, that's the money bite. That's what you want to hear. I'm good. I think you hear that, and I think you put that sound bite, I think you put that advice, that thought process over anything else that you're able to draw from James Borrego's coaching ability. It's the player development. Curtis Polk puts such an importance on that in Rick Bennell's interview. But of course, I think as fans, you do too, because the knowledgeable fans, they understand what you're going to have to do to win in this league, especially from a small market perspective. The Charlotte market is just not as big as the Boston market, as the L.A. market, and it's why you had some questions with Mitch Kupchak coming all the way over from L.A. to be a part of Charlotte. So he realizes that, and I think it does show you that Kupchak does understand. This is not L.A. We need to get one of these assistant coaches who have grown in player development, and it's rubbed off on everyone else in the organization. Again, Curtis Polk will be the example there. And Borrego has shown you that it's a guy that can be in an organization and can be responsible solely for himself. Again, a guy that has been thrown into the fire, not just a byproduct of it, not just learning by observation, although that helps, but being within the fire, being within the mold that helps these players succeed. Now, remember, these we're talking about guys, don't don't give me the Tim Duncan and the David Robinson examples. I those are those are fantastic players, but remember when Pop comes in, David Robinson is past thirty, and Tim Duncan is a generational player. I get that. But we're, we're talking about player development from Tony Parker, from Manu Ginobili, from guys like, again, he mentioned Boris Diao, developed once he got older in San Antonio. You're talking about, again, George Hill, who was a vital asset with the Indiana Pacers that they traded for the 15th overall pick in Kawhi Leonard. Now, these are not top 10 picks we're talking about. They are consistently, it's crazy. It's crazy to see the double-digit picks develop under what Greg Popovich was able to do, and, of course, James Borrego being a guy who was well within that mold so I think you have to think all good things right now at least for what you've seen with James Borrego we'll take a quick time out and when we come back we'll get some Borrego takes from Philip Rossman Reich of the Locked On Magic podcast and Orlando Magic Daily stick around with myself and Doug Branson you're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell, like stuffed animal type thing?
1: Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I look, I love me some Elden Campbell, but is that, is they, that the They guy? were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night, they didn't have to take with them to New Orleans.
0: Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We're hitting the Borrego hire hard today after news broke around this time yesterday that James Borrego would be the new Charlotte Hornets head coach and help us recap his days as the Magic interim head coach after Jacques Vaughn was let go. We welcome Philip Rossman-Reich of the Locked On Magic podcast and the Orlando Magic Daily. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm
3: doing all right. How are you guys
0: doing? We're doing well. It's a busy time here in Charlotte, obviously, as we had been looking for the new head coach. That would replace Steve Clifford, and it was a little bit of a quiet process here, but of course they brought it down to two guys in Laranega and Borrego, and Borrego seems to be the guy. So, Philip, I know you have some experience with Borrego being in Orlando. Uh, first off, just your, your initial thoughts on the hire and just Borrego as a head coach.
3: You know, I, I think I think James Borrego is—he's is, obviously been a guy that's that's been around uh, the Spurs organization for for a long time. Uh, you know, he's brought into Orlando to kind of be uh, someone who could bring a little bit of experience to the bench because when the Magic hired Jacques Vaughn, he only had I think two years of assistant of assistant coaching experience. So he was kind of the the steady hand, the guy that was that was kind of there to to make sure that that. You know Vaughn was, was kind of doing all or be be a sounding board for for Jacques Vaughn as he kind of gained experience uh, as a head coach and and you know when the time came that it obviously wasn't working out with Vaughn he was the guy that the Magic brought in to kind of hold the boat steady I, I, I think um, you know Orlando at that time was three years into this into this current rebuild uh, they weren't making the progress that they wanted to make and so they they still trusted James Borrego to help them uh, continue whatever growth they were they were they were making that season and and kind of get into the off season on a, on a positive note. And even though he finished only, I think 10 and 20, in those final 30 games, I think most, most everyone would say that the magic finished playing better that year than they were beforehand. So uh, Borrego, so to everyone that I that I know, everyone thought he did a he did a really good job.
0: Yeah, Philip, and and you mentioned that record. That's where I was going to lead into next. You look at that roster. I was looking at it when he was the interim <laughs> head coach. Well, and the roster it it wasn't great, but there was some talent there. But also, you have to keep in perspective. Things weren't exactly going all that well as Vaughn is let go as Berego does become the interim head coach for just the last thirty games. What do you make of that record, Philip? I mean, is the ten and twenty record really indicative of Berego?
3: Uh, you know, I I don't think it is. Um, you know, I think that uh, obviously they were scrambling just to just to improve their record from the previous year. They they jumped from 23 wins to 25 wins, and so finishing 10 and 20 uh, helped them. And and I think. At the end of the day, you know, when the Magic made their decision on who to hire next, they did interview Barrego for their open coaching position. They, they at least said at the end of the year that they were going to give him all due consideration, uh, whether you believe that or not, because they ended up hiring Scott Skiles, who was the odds-on favorite from the day Jacques Vaughn got fired, um, is, is another is another issue. But uh, you know, I, I think that what Borrego did really kind of goes beyond the record. That team was not really a complete team, was not a, a strong team, still a solo team that was trying to find its way and figure itself. Out and uh, while the, the record wasn't particularly good and obviously kind of a tanking team getting to the end of the season you're not always going to find a lot of success uh, you know you're going to have your games or the guys just kind of don't show up that's that's what happens at the end of these games
0: Philip Rossman Reich um, of the Locked On Magic podcast and the Orlando Magic Daily uh, so Philip you mentioned the record it not being really all that indicative what are the players opinions about him how do the players react how do the players like playing for him
3: Uh, It seemed like they they liked playing Forma. They certainly played with with a lot more energy. I mean, the record, again, isn't fantastic, but I think generally... Everyone would say the Magic played better in those final 30 games than they did in the previous 52. That that they took some some really important steps forward. That that they began to form some type of identity. And I think that really goes to to what Borrego did. Um, you know, I think everyone really enjoyed him. I think they would have liked to have him uh, continue to be the head coach if if that was the direction the Magic were we're going to head. Um, but. You know, it, it, it's it's tough to say with a team that that was struggling as much as as Orlando was at that time.
0: And right, and one more question, Philip, before we get you out of here, uh, just X's and O's wise, any kind of game plan that he had, his philosophy, was there anything that you particularly noticed about his game that maybe differed from others, or just that stood out there on the court when he put all those players in his plan?
3: The, the magic, the magic. Have had a lot of coaches over the last few years. It's 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 right. no question. But but the one thing that I think stood out about James Borrego's time. And, and, and there's there, I can give you the numbers to back this up. He really focused in on getting the magic to do one thing really well. Um, you know, they may not have had the personnel to do it perfectly. And it certainly shortchanged other parts of the team, but with where the magic were developing and I kind of think what the ultimate goal was for what they wanted to be as a team, his decision to really say, you know, we're going to lock down the paint where no one's going to score in the paint against us. Uh, that, that, Showed that that was a real clear identity that the Magic didn't have before. I mean, he he was willing to try a, a, an an odd lineup to to be perfectly frank, playing Dwayne Denman and Nikola Vucevic together for much of those final 30 games. And you know, for all intents and purposes, it worked. I've got the the numbers loaded up here. Uh, since in the 30 games that James Rego took over, the Magic were fifth in the league in opponent points allowed in the paint. Um, opponents scored only 30. Set, scored 37.9 points in the paint against the Magic. That was fifth in the league. Their defensive rating improved from uh, improved from 106.1 points allowed per 100 possessions to 103.7 points allowed per 100 possessions. Uh, those, you know, smaller sample size, obviously, but but that's that's a pretty significant improvement. And it was a reason why everyone felt very optimistic about the team moving forward, whether Borrego was a coach or not, because he seemed to focus in on something that the team could really work on. And they showed that improvement. Now, obviously, Charlotte's in a different spot. Charlotte, I think, has playoff expectations. So you can't kind of fine tune that one area. You got to be able to do the whole picture. But for what that Magic team needed, it, it was probably the one point in time that the magic actually had an identity that was working over the last six years
0: all right brief but fantastic that was philip rossman reich of the locked on magic podcast and the orlando magic daily you can catch him on twitter at phil r squared phil thanks so much for joining us man that was great stuff
3: no problem thanks for having me
0: on all right we'll take another quick break we'll come back with the fun dwight howard had with the get up crew yesterday morning it's the lockdown hornets podcast i'm walker mail alongside doug branson Music.
2: You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast.
0: We don't want that Pacers talk. You
1: here. gotta respect the satchel.
0: We don't want that Cavs talk. What you got, Doug?
1: <laughs> I have the entirety. I turn this satchel's a little loud today. <laughs> Be quiet, satchel.
0: No, we're ba- it's a club banging in here. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Good stuff from Philip Rossman Reich of the Locked On Magic podcast, our buddy down there in Orlando, also of the Orlando Magic Daily. Again, I'll pub his Twitter out. You can find him on Phil R Squared. Good stuff from him. Gave you a real detailed insight for just the 30 games that he coached as the interim head coach for the Orlando Magic. Doug, you and I both kind of raised an eyebrow about one particular comment. It's not at all too familiar here in the Queen City.
1: That dedication to interior defense, (laughs) that was a staple of Steve Clifford's uh, defensive scheme. And a lot of people, a lot of fans were critical of that because it came a lot of times at the cost of of three-point makes for the other team. And so I guess the question in my mind is, was that a reflection of where the Magic were, or is that something that he is just absolutely 100% dedicated to and wants to implement with the Charlotte Hornets moving forward? Because that's a message, Walker, that I think fell on deaf ears this past season.
0: Well, and again, right. So if he comes in and that's something that he's praising, I don't know if it's going to be at the forefront of whatever message he wants to adhere to, but it would be interesting for that one to be at the forefront of it, or at least in the first couple of things he mentions. One thing... Reich did mention was that he possibly just didn't have the personnel for it that again you had Nicola and Dwayne Dedman Dedman seems like a guy that's kind of equipped to go down there Nicola not so much right I mean he's an offensive guy it's not a guy that's going to protect the rim he's going to have his back to the basket kind of falling in that dinosaur age
1: and was it a situation where look there are nine holes in this ship I'm going to patch one of them. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to be and it's going to be damn patched. <laughs> right. It's going to be the best patch you've ever seen. Now there are eight other holes. There's and- water come in here but not from there.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) We're not sinking on that part. I got this one covered, guys. I don't know what else you guys got to do, but this one's covered. Can you do anything else? Can you patch more of those holes with a roster that looks like what the Charlotte Hornets have?
1: Can you bring a fresh idea? That's going to be the big question because he's going to have a veteran roster, most likely. They are not uh, in a position, really, where they can move a lot of these contracts to basically remake this team. So he, for the most part, has what he has, Can he get that same veteran roster to hear a a message better than they heard it, especially defensively, than they did last season?
0: Talking with Keith Smith of Real GM yesterday, I asked him about James Borrego and what his thoughts on that were, and he discussed that he thought of him as a player's coach, that he could at least relate to the NBA players that he was with, whatever with the Orlando Magic or with the San Antonio Spurs. So perhaps that's something that can give you a peace of mind. Perhaps that's something that can give you some kind of comfort there. Because again, I'll, I'll reiterate this. I don't think Steve Clifford is some tyrant. I think he was able to relate to some players. I don't exactly think you would call him a player's coach as well. And maybe there is that young side of things with Borrego that does allow him to relate to today's players a little bit more than what Clifford was when he comes into the league in 2000 under the Van Gundys.
1: He was straightforward. He was honest. And I think he had the respect of a lot of the players, especially the player. He was able to connect with players like Kimball Walker that were just dedicated to getting better, working hard, getting in the gym every day. I, I would I would assume that he had difficulties connecting with players who didn't fall into that category you know players that were certainly professional but at the same time were not you know manic about their work ethic and you just wonder if if coaches like Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich are the same way or and James Brego or can they connect with those players in a way to get them to be a little bit more in line with that Kimball Walker mentality.
0: So perhaps in line with that mentality of Borrego to protect the paint will be Dwight Howard, who had some fun yesterday with the Get Up crew on ESPN. Of course, that new show that aired basically about a month ago with Michelle Beadle, Mike Greenberg, and Jalen Rose. Love Jalen Rose, by the way. One of my favorite guys out there. All three of them welcoming Dwight Howard to the set. Dwight Howard had some interesting comments.
1: So, uh, yeah, just real quick. This was on, uh, they asked him about the Oklahoma City Thunder And having three superstars on what team? Who you know? How does that affect the team in general? Uh, Yeah, let's let's play that. (laughs) Which player do you feel like should have been doing the most sacrificing? Well, I just think
0: that uh, I would say Russ. I would say Russ because Russ has the ball more times in his hand, and I watched Carmelo and Paul George at times, and they were
3: just standing there watching, you know, and. Late in the games, I think the ball should have been more in um, Carmelo hands because he's more mm. of a closer.
1: Really,
3: he's more
0: of a closer, <laughs> and
1: you know Paul why George, was Beatles surprised by
0: that? Get you those twenty to thirty points between the first and the third quarter, and then Russ, he should just facilitate, just get everybody involved,
1: facilitate. early
0: in the game, <laughs> and then just let those guys play. Don't ever I mean, shoot. at this one in his career, he's he's done everything as far as an individual. He has the the, all the accolades. Um, but now it should just
3: be about making everybody around him better.
0: You okay, Doug? Hold on. I, I, want, I want to inform the listeners of what I just saw. I want to serve as a window to what I just saw from you behind this window. This is. Your face made about a million changes and none of them looked with the positive confidence.
1: This is not the first time that I've heard this clip, Walker, but every time I'm just amazed at the lack of, of self awareness that's going on. Certainly he is entitled to his his opinion, you you don't see it's players, <laughs> you you don't see players going out and, and attack, especially active players sort of attacking other teams or attacking other players. It's sort of like coaches. They don't, they don't like to see to I, attack the troop.
0: I don't know. Was it attack? You think it's, it's, it's full on attack.
1: Russell Westbrook for sure. He's saying, look, this guy's gotten everything he's gotten and he needs to give the ball up to Carmelo Anthony. Why didn't that surprise that? beetle that, that Dwight <laughs> Howard would side with the, the ball Anthony stopper.
0: That was interesting. It was interesting.
1: I thought at first,
0: because the way I took it at first, I honestly, I honestly don't think Dwight Howard meant anything by it. I really don't. I Dwight Howard, man. I'm telling you this. I'm not. I'm saying Dwight Howard has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. There's certainly a lot of people that don't like Dwight Howard in this league. I didn't take that as a crazy attack on him. They were bad comments. They weren't exactly all that true. I don't really look if he
1: wants to go out and say that that X player should do Y or, you know, Y player should do Z. I don't really care about that. But it's just the the lack of self awareness when he talks about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has all of the individual accolades and now he should work to facilitate everyone else on his team. And then you you look at Dwight Howard last season assist percentage 6.9%. That was 31st percentile among bigs. His assist to usage percentage was 0.31. That was seventh percentile, meaning there were only a couple of bigs that were less willing to pass in the NBA. There that many relative to his usage.
0: So he's describing himself. What what's what's funny about this though is it reminds me of Kobe Bryant dissecting a Rockets play. Earlier, I think in the last couple weeks, I think it was just maybe a week and a half ago where Kobe Bryant saying, we'll see what happens is when you get triple teamed right here, you know that this particular guy is going to be open. So make sure you're passing. And you're sitting there thinking, Kobe, you would have jacked that. Wait, in a man, wait a minute,
1: wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute.
0: That's what we're thinking about with Dwight Howard. Like Dwight Howard. I'm not, I'm not so sure I disagree with Dwight Howard, to be honest with you, because what have, what have we killed Russell Westbrook for here? And I think, I think this year you did see some truth to that where it is tough for guys to get in a rhythm because Russell Westbrook is just crazy sometimes. I think there are times where he's out of control, and he's so fun, and I love watching him play. I'm a fan of Russell Westbrook, but man, you can't be that inefficient. You can't be, and it's the reason that I think you can look at other guys, and I think it's a reason why everyone else was kind of quicker to the punch last year when he's getting the triple doubles, but he's just not efficient a lot of these times, and I think there is some truth to that, but to your point, there absolutely is some lack of self-awareness. It goes to the Kobe Bryant thing. Dwight Howard can see it, but he just can't see it when he's on the court. And he can't kick it out of, court, of a double team when he's in the post with his back to the basket.
1: I will certainly say this. He is an expert in everything that he was commenting on. He was serving <laughs> as, he has a doctorate in, in everything that he was talking about in that clip. I love me some Dwight Howard, man. He's, I love it. He's I love. A fun listen, dude. I respect the boldness of going on television And telling another superstar that he demands too much of the offense. (laughs) That is incredible.
0: I can't wait to see what we get from Dwight Howard this season. I'm a fan. All right. NBA playoffs last night. We'll go mention real, real quick. We'll try to give you some somber. We'll try to leave you on a somber note. A requiem for Donovan Mitchell, who just had a bonkers third quarter last night. 22 points? Now... I don't know if you can pay attention to the first, second, and fourth because he was out for majority of the fourth. But 22 points in that third quarter, Doug. How are you feeling today after seeing that from a player who goes two selections after Blake Monk?
1: And the two teams, two of the teams that passed up on him, the Detroit Pistons and the Charlotte Hornets, now have fired both their coach and their... The most
0: criticized teams for passing on him.
1: Yes, have fired both their general manager and their coach. And in the case of the Detroit Pistons... Was one guy
0: who was before the Hornets last season? Who was at ten? Do you remember? Oh, it was Portland right? Yeah, because they took Zach and then Collins. Denver
1: traded away right. their pick to the right. Jazz.
0: Right. I mean, which is crazy, and people don't talk about the Denver Nuggets for doing that. No, but a couple of people missed out on Donovan Mitchell, and he's making you pay right now. So his season comes to an end. Phenomenal rookie season for Donovan Mitchell, and it, again, a guy that has been being compared, I think, right now to Allen Iverson more so than most. I can see the comparisons. The numbers certainly compare from both of their rookie years. A fun, fun player. An unexpected rookie season from Donovan Mitchell out there with Utah. He
1: already looks like a superstar. That third quarter, he went into that mode where it's like, give me the ball, I'm going to make a well, play.
0: Doing that in the playoffs is so different. It. I think sometimes you can chalk it up to being naive, but, man, we talk about experience all the time. I mean, that guy in the playoffs, talk about being a monster. Talk about just having guts. Talk about... Just a guy that wants it more than anything. Look, I know that's a lot of cliches, but Donovan Mitchell, I feel like, feels or fills a lot of those roles.
1: And was battling a few injuries throughout the playoffs. He had a few nicks and dings. And when he figures out how to uh how to basically do what he did in the third quarter and extend that through an entire half, because you know, James Harden, of course, came up with that huge one on one defensive play, stealing the ball from right. Donovan Mitchell that injured him and knocked him out. Of yeah, the he rooked quarter. him. That's a rook moment. Exactly. When he figures that out, oh my god!
0: Oh, he's gonna be he's gonna be so fun. It hurts. It does hurt. It really, really hurts. I still like Malik Monk. You can't give up on him. And yet, it still hurts for Donovan Mitchell against a very good team. By the way, in Houston, gonna be fun to see his career. As 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 long as he plays, so hopefully hopefully he's able to continue.
1: And shout out Chris Paul, he's in the Western Conference Finals. He's a first. good player now. We can Taylor, we can crunch that narrative. That narrative's gone. We we can acknowledge that he's actually
0: good at basketball now. Right now he's good, Chris Paul. Congratulations. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. All right, thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Locked On Hornets. A big thanks to Philip Rossman-Reich from Joy for joining us from the Locked On Magic podcast. Great stuff on James Borrego. Again, you can catch that out as we release that. Catch that on Twitter as we release that. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Lockdown On Hornets. Thanks again for listening, guys. I'm Walker Mail alongside Doug Branson. We'll talk to you tomorrow.